This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. We have an identity a crisis in this world today. Many, even those who have trusted Christ as their personal Savior, simply don't know who they really are. But what difference would it make in our lives and in our world if we grasped our true identity in Jesus Christ? What if we understood that we are no longer bound by sin and can freely present our lives to the Lord for His purposes and glory? Well, the answer is that we can. And today, Mark Ray brings a powerful message to tell us how, as part of our series on a life of glory. Mark is Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and has a substantial history with Grace School of Theology, including being an original Board of Trustee member, and primary advisor from earliest days. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary, a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor, and has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Mark will soon be launching the Grace Center for Spiritual Development, which we're going to tell you about more in the weeks to come. But today, let's listen to Mark Ray's message, Know, Consider, Present, in our series on a life of glory. We are in part six of the spiritual life. We started six weeks ago looking at the word glory and that 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. We do it in such a way that we manifest his character to the world. And in order to do that, we have to conform to his character, which is holiness. Holiness was shattered. That's what we were, we were created to be holy, created in his image to be holy. And that holiness was shattered by sin in the Garden of Eden. But God had an answer for that sin, and he brought Jesus Christ. And we saw that week following that he graced us and graced us abundantly, 33 divine gifts of grace. He's overwhelmingly graced us to the point that when we understand what Christ has done for us in gracing us to that extent, we live triumphant, victorious lives. Amen? And yet, if you look at the world today, and especially the world of Christians, how many would raise their hands and say they see victorious Christian living going on? And there is an answer to that. This morning, we're going to look at Paul's answer to that. And as a mini-series within the big series, we're going to look at a three-part series. Today, we're going to look at a really fun topic, sin nature. And I'm glad I didn't announce it before. There would have been less people here this morning. That's Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 7 is the secondary part of that. They go hand in hand, and that's the flesh. But just like we've seen all along, God has an answer for that too, and that's Romans chapter 8, and what he provides us with in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look this morning at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and as we look at this, we're going to see a number of things in this. First is that Paul gives us a new perspective. We talked about 33 divine gifts two weeks ago. We talked about triumphant living last week. We're going to talk this week about who we are in Christ coming out of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. We're going to see a new perspective on that. Then Paul's going to paint for us this new picture of who we are in Christ. 
maybe different than you've ever realized before. Then he's going to talk about a new performance, a new presentation. In other words, we've seen the way we live life before, and now he shows us a different way to live life. And finally, what he's going to give us is a new plan, a battle plan for this sin nature that keeps rising up in us. Now, Paul makes a very clear distinction in Romans chapter 6 between sin and sins. Sin is that power within us that prior to Christ, we had no option but to obey. The sin nature that rises up in us, it's that governing authority in us before Christ that leads us to sins. And Paul makes a very clear distinction in Romans chapter 6 that he's talking about our sin nature that rises up, that comes back, that we continue to put on. That governing power in our life that before Christ we had no option but to obey it. And it's that governing power that leads us to sins in our life, individual sins. So that's a clear distinction I want to put out there as we look at this new perspective to the sin nature. Look at it. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is a question, and Paul's going to ask a number of questions going through Romans 6, 7, and 8. This first question that he lays out there is a really interesting question because Paul was being accused, slanderously accused, of promoting evil in order to promote grace. Look at it back. This is going to, let me read it to you from Romans chapter 3, verse 8. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say... There was an accusation to Paul that what he was claiming was this, that out of sin, that we sin in order that grace may come because what Christ did was he brought abundant grace. And so what was being reported about Paul was that he was spreading a false gospel out there by stating this, that we ought to do more bad in order to bring more grace on us, that the only way to get more grace was to do more sin. That's what Paul was arguing against, and he starts it even in the beginning of the book, in the beginning of this letter in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God into salvation through Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, you've got it wrong. I am not reporting, do more bad so that you can bring grace. In fact, listen to what he says in verse 2. Paul says, certainly not. It's the most emphatic negative in the entire Greek language. It means, heaven forbid, no way, how can you possibly think that? There is absolutely no way that I would be purporting to you to do more sin, to put sin back on so that grace may be abundant upon you. Why? Because grace is already abundant upon you. And it's what took that sin away from us. And now Paul begins this unbelievable statement of who we are in Christ. I want you to just hang with me for a minute because these next seven verses are just phenomenal in what Paul tells us Christ did for us. Look at this. Verse three, or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? That word baptism in the Greek means to be immersed into or to identify with. And what he's saying here is this, do you not know that believers in Jesus Christ have been so immersed, so identified with Jesus Christ in his death, that what his death applied to him, what his death accomplished has now been applied to us? We are so immersed into him, 
We are so identified with him that what he did on the cross and what he did on the cross that accomplished that overcoming of sin has now been applied to you and me. How? By grace. Salvation by grace through faith. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So first he says, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were baptized into his death. You were immersed into it. You, are, you so identify with Christ that his death applies to you and me. Did I have to die to do that? Maybe you're so amazed and so overwhelmed that you're speechless this morning. <laughs> I don't. Christ did it for me, amen? amen? Verse 4, therefore, since we have been baptized into his death, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Paul says this, that burial is the proof of death, right? When somebody died, you buried them. Burial is the proof of death. So we not only identify with Christ in his death, but we've been buried with him. We identify in that burial. So it's been put to death. We've been put to death. And we've been buried. Then he says, as Christ was raised from the dead, which means if we identify with him in his death and in his burial, do we also identify with him in his resurrection? Yes. And what his resurrection brings is the opposite of what we had. We had this old life that's now been dead and buried, and now we have new life in Christ because he's not still in the grave. He's been raised, and so because he's been raised, we walk in new life. He doesn't stop there. It just gets better and better. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we identify with him in his death and his burial, we also identify with him in his resurrection. And it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that helps us overcome that sin nature that keeps rising up again, trying to destroy our lives. And so what we get is this incredible statement that we have been raised. We're not still in the grave. We do not have to respond to sin nature. Why? Because Christ killed it. It's dead and buried just like we are dead and buried. And so when he's raised, we're raised and we're raised to new life, not to the old life. So what we don't have to sit and obey is the old life, that old sin nature. We don't have to obey that anymore. Why? Because there's a new reigning king on our throne. And it's Jesus Christ who put to death that old one and has now been raised and we identify with him in his resurrection. Amen? Amen? We're not done yet. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified, now he brings the old man, that's the old sin nature, the old way we used to do things. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. You ever felt a slave to sin? I just can't get, I'm on the treadmill. Of, I just can't get out of this thing. What Paul says is Christ put that old man to death. It's been crucified. It was nailed on the cross. That old sin nature was nailed on the cross. And when it was nailed on the cross, what he did in dying and being raised from the dead happened to my sin, happened to my sin nature. It no longer has authority and rules over me at all. And so in verse six, I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm I do not have to obey my sin nature anymore. In fact, the way he states it is this. In the Greek, it has this, has, the, has this idea that our sin has been rendered inoperable. You ever been in a car and put it in neutral? Put your foot on the gas, what happens? Nothing! 
There's no power behind it because it hasn't been engaged. Our sin, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, that we identify with and it's been applied to us, sin, our sin nature, has now been rendered inoperable. It does not work. There's no power behind it. When he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, he not only negated the penalty of sin for you and me, that's salvation, but he negated the power of sin for you and me, and that's sanctification. That's our life now. And what he did was he put us back into that right relationship with him. That holy relationship. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen, we've been freed from sin. Now, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. He doesn't leave us in the grave. What he says is, if we've died with him, which, by the way, these preceding verses said we have. So we've died, we've been buried, but now it says we will live with him, meaning we have new life. Romans 6.23, go a little bit later in this sanctification statement. Paul makes this statement, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Which means our sin, the wages of sin, the wages of us putting our sin nature back on only leads to death. There's only rotting, stinking death. But Christ calls us to new life. Let me share with you real quick. I had a friend of mine who was from South Africa in seminary. This guy was an amazing guy. came from a small village poor guy, got a scholarship to seminary, was an incredible, brilliant guy. And he told the story in this passage, he told the story that he went back one summer to visit his village. And there were a couple of kids out in front of his house and they were playing with a dog. And the dog was kind of this mangy, sickly, flies all over it. But they were playing with this dog. The next morning he came out and the dog was dead. And the kids were still playing with it. And he said, what I see in this passage is this. Paul's telling us, why in the world would you play with a dead dog? It's dead. Why in the world would you go back and play with something that's dead? Leave it alone. Don't go near it. Why? Because Christ offers us new life, not old death. That's just a, that visual image, that picture just stays with me. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. This is called double jeopardy. And in legal terms, double jeopardy is this. It's when you commit a crime, you're convicted of it, and you pay your penalty. You cannot be convicted of that crime again, right? Double jeopardy. You can't be convicted of a crime you've already been convicted of and you've already paid the penalty for What Paul's telling us here is this is double jeopardy for Christ. What Christ has done on the cross is he's already paid the penalty for my sin, which means he can't be convicted of my sin anymore, and neither can I. Christ went to the cross, and he paid for my sins, past, present, and future. That sin that has been done away with, the sin nature that's been done away with, that I keep trying to put back on, what he's telling us is this. That sin nature's been done away with, and Christ cannot be convicted for that sin anymore. Death has no dominion over him. He's conquered it. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. And because he's already paid the penalty, it can't apply to him anymore, and therefore it can't apply to me. Why? Because I'm baptized into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So that sin I don't have to pick up anymore. And as a matter of fact, he's done so far away with it that even legally we can't do anything with it. Because he's already made it happen. He can't be convicted of it anymore. He's overcome it, and he's overcome it on our behalf. And we get the benefit of that, and that's grace. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In other words, 
He died it one time. He didn't have to do it again. He only had to do it once, and he paid it for all time. Amen? Verses 1 through 10, Paul says, the way you begin to overcome your sin nature is go back to the basics and understand who you are in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. We stop thinking that sin has authority over us. We stop thinking that sin has any authority because there's a new king on the throne. And I have choice. I don't have to obey that old sin nature anymore. And I start thinking that I belong to Jesus Christ. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Would you say that? Thank you. Lord, just stand up and say amen. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Say that together with me. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Say it again. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. And what Paul tells us here is, know who you are. Well, that's the new perspective he gives us. To know who we are in Christ. But now he paints a new picture in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He uses this word reckon. Now, we in the South understand that word, right? I reckon, right? I reckon. Is that the truth? I reckon. The word reckon literally means, translated in the Greek, literally means to consider, to give deep thought to, to think so deeply about it that it becomes ingrained in you and becomes a part of your life. So let me rephrase it. Likewise, you also, believers in Jesus Christ, because of everything that I've just laid out for you in verses 1 through 10, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So because of everything Christ has done for you, now appropriate it, apply it to yourself, and consider yourself dead to sin. Why? Because you are. And think of yourself as alive to God in Jesus Christ. Why? Because I am. Think the truth. Sin has no hold over you. It has no control over you. We too often think this. We think that sin has these sharp teeth, fangs that they can get. In fact, I had a seminary professor that said, he, he, he expressed it this way, and I'm going to show you a video clip here in just a second. But he said, do you remember that old children's story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? And the, the movie classic, I used to watch this when I was a kid. There was a, a character in there that was, well, you had Rudolph, and you had Hermie, and you had Clarice, and you had Yukon Cornelius, all the great, all the classic literary figures, right? <laughs> but there was one out there that, when I was a kid, absolutely put abject fear in me, and that was the abominable snowman. Right? I'm seeing some smiles on your faces. Yukon Cornelius called him the bumble, right? Well, we have a tendency to believe that sin is like the abominable snowman, right? We have a tendency to believe that sin so overpowers us that we can't get out of it. It's got these teeth and claws, and it gets itself into us, and it begins to shred us. But I want to tell you, this is a quote from that seminary professor. He said, in reality, the work of Christ defanged sin and its penalty of death. Because of Christ, death can only gum on us. <laughs> Here's the idea. The idea is what Jesus Christ did on the cross defanged sin. 
It has no control over us. It has no authority over us. And because of it, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There was a man who came to a church service one Sunday morning. Pastor was preaching on sin, that wonderful topic, and at the end, he offered an opportunity for anybody to come forward and trust Christ to be released, to be freed from sin. And he came down front sobbing, tears in his eyes. He grabbed the pastor's hands and he shouted out, my sin is full of life. Oh, what I meant to say was my life was full of sin. But he wasn't wrong, was he? Too many times we give sin life in our lives. Our sin is full of life because we give it free reign because we don't think we have any control over it. And yet what Jesus Christ did for you and me was die and be raised and we identify with him so that sin, our sin nature, no longer has reign over us. And so we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Isn't it great to be alive to God in Christ and dead to sin? It cannot control me anymore. So that's the new picture that he gives us, this beautiful picture that I am dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So I stop thinking of myself as I am in Adam. But sin's my only choice. I stop thinking of myself only as a sinner because I have the choice. I have the option in front of me not to put the old man back on. I don't have to do that anymore. I can think of myself as whole in Christ. I can think of Christ's perfection, his holiness on me, his righteousness imputed to me, given to me because of grace. Well, given that, let me talk to you a moment about a new presentation. I'm going to read to you Romans chapter uh, 6, verses 12 through 14. Paul says, therefore, do not let sane reign in your, reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its, in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Too many times we think we go through this sin alone. We think we're in the middle of this and, and we can just keep it under wraps. We can keep it secret and we have this, we have this presentation of ourselves and this presentation of ourselves doesn't, it doesn't get at the root of what's really going on. So let me give you what Paul says about this. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. We, we need to now present ourselves as those who are dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. We present ourselves as instruments of, of righteousness for his glory. Listen to it again. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Don't sit out on the, the frozen tundra all by yourself. You're not in this alone. You're in this with Jesus Christ. You're in this with the God of the universe. Verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What we get is this incredible statement that Paul makes about presenting yourself to God. We don't present ourselves to sin. We present ourselves to God as his instrument of righteousness. Why? Because that's who we are already. What Christ did for us, his righteousness on top of, his holiness in me. He's, 
Positionally, I'm in Christ. That's who I am. That's who I was created to be. And in Christ, that's who I am, right? So we need to stop giving ourselves to sin and start giving ourselves to God as his instruments of righteousness. So I know who I am in Christ. I consider myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And I present myself to God as his instrument of righteousness. What do I not do? I don't present, present myself to sin. I am his instrument of righteousness. I know who I am in Christ. I consider myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And I present myself to God as his instrument of righteousness. Why? Because that's what Christ did for me. So sin is out there. Our sin nature is there. Let me give you a quick battle plan. This helps me a tremendous amount. And maybe it will help you. But I'm going to give you five things related to a battle plan, a new plan for how to confront your sin nature. First, this was a tough one. First, know your sin pattern. And what do I mean by know your sin pattern? Here's what I mean. You know how you sin. I know how I sin. I know what goes through my head. I've done it long enough. I know what goes through my head. I know my thought process. I know my pattern when I fall into sin. The first thing you do is you recognize your sin pattern. Be honest with yourself. Recognize your sin pattern. Second, prepare against sin in advance whenever possible. If you know your sin pattern, you know what's coming. You know what's coming up, so prepare for it. And how do I prepare for it? I seek help from others first. I don't sit out on the frozen tundra all by myself and allow sin just to swallow me. There are other people there who can help me through this. The fourth thing I do is I avoid sin situations whenever possible. I walk away from it. I don't go play with a dead dog. I walk away from it. And the last one is this. I make a habitual part of my overcoming sin process. Know, consider, and present. I know who I am in Christ. And I present myself to God as his instrument of righteousness. I'm here to tell you every time that I'm confronted with it, and I'm not perfect by any stretch, but every time I'm confronted with it, the first thing I say is, I know who I am in Christ. I know who I am in Christ. What he did on the cross, he did for me. And he did it so that I wouldn't be enslaved to my sin nature. I know who I am in Christ. Then I consider myself dead to that. It has no power and authority in my life. And I consider myself alive to God. That's where there's life. That's where there's, and that's where there's freshness. That's where I want to be. And third, I present myself not to my sin, but I present myself to God as his instrument of righteousness because that's who I am. So let me conclude with this illustration, and maybe this will help. The headline read in 1863 this, Emancipation Proclamation Signed, Slavery Legally Abolished. And yet an amazing thing took place. The greater majority of slaves in the South went right on living as though they were not emancipated. A guy by the name of Henry Foote wrote a book called The Civil War, and this is his quote. He said, The slave remained locked in a caste system as rigid as any had been known in formal bondage, and that every slave could repeat with equal validity what an Alabama slave mumbled when asked what he thought of the great emancipator Abraham Lincoln whose proclamation had just gone into effect. He said, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, except that he say he set us free, and I don't know nothing about that neither. How tragic. 
Foote went on to say, a war was fought, a declaration was signed, slaves were legally set free, the world was emancipated, and yet most continued to live out their years and many of their children some of their years in fear saying, I don't know nothing about that neither. In the context of freedom, slaves chose to remain slaves, though they were legally freed. And even though emancipated, they kept serving the same master throughout their lives. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, sin is no longer our master. Jesus Christ reigns. And we need to stop serving sin. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I consider myself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. And I present myself to God as his instrument of righteousness. I can't say it any more clearly than this. We can't live the way we used to live because we're not who we used to be. Amen. You've been listening to Mark Ray. Isn't it exciting to confidently know our identity in Christ? To know we are no longer bound by sin and that we are free to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to our Lord for His purposes and glory. You know, here at Grace, we want to equip you for a life of glory. Check out the many books and courses and devotionals that we have available online at gsot.edu. And as a reminder, if you've missed previous podcasts, you'll find them all in our archive. Now, you may have friends and family who need to hear about God's amazing grace. We hope that you'll share our podcast, a perfect way to start that conversation. We're so glad you tuned in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 